uh, story. Linda, very nice job with the microphone. <laughs> um, it's good to be here this morning. Happy Sabbath, everybody. I, um, I, I came up with the, the title for this message uh, after reading a verse. Now, Jedediah, what version was it that you read? What version were you reading out of? The New King James. Okay, because um, my title probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, with the New King James Version, uh, but let me read it in the New International Version. It says the same thing, just uses slightly different um, words, or one particular different word. So it says, And now these three remain. <laughs> Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If I was going to ask you, you know, the simple question that I kind of used for the title of the talk today, what will remain, you, you may wonder what the question is referring to. But I'll tell you, there is an answer to this question that won't ever be wrong. So if anybody ever asks you this question again, I'm going to give you an answer that will always be the right answer. Uh, does anybody know what answer might always be the right answer to this question? Oh, you read my mind. Well, love is a, love is a good answer. Love is, love is also the right answer. Uh, even though some people may disagree with you, um, it is clearly the right answer. And faith and hope as well, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But I like the answer that Clyde gave. Can you say it one more time, Clyde? The remnant. Thank you. The remnant. Yes, the, the remnant. So if anyone ever comes up to you on the street and says, Hey, uh, Linda, what will remain? The remnant. You can say the remnant. the remnant, and you will always be right. Because the, by definition, thank you. I didn't, I didn't expect anybody to, to get this. Uh, I, I felt like it was a can you read my mind question, but Clyde can read my mind. Um, by definition, the remnant is what remains, or as um, one source says, a small remaining quantity of something. So, but you can think of the remnant is, as what remains. Now, growing up, I kind of heard the analogy for the remnant as, you know, like uh, sowing. So, you know, you're sowing, you're making something, and you have your leftovers, kind of what remains. Um, which is true, and I think those are actually called remnants, if you're a seamstress. Uh, so we certainly use the word that way. Um, I always kind of wondered then, you know, if we were to apply that to, you know, what we understand being the spiritual remnant, uh, does that just mean that that group is going to be leftovers? You know, like, we, we, made, the <laughs> we made the garment, and now we got some leftovers. Um, and so... I, I would say I, I don't think that that's really what the Bible talks about as the remnant. Um, I think the Bible would have actually the maybe exact opposite picture of the remnant, where everything else has passed away. Everything that could be shaken has been shaken. Uh, everything that could be shaken loose, everybody who wasn't firmly rooted in faith and hope and love um, had passed then you get what remains. Then you get that small group. 
the elect, those that the Bible would call the remnant. And so I just wanted to take a few minutes today to, to talk about what is it that will help those who remain faithful to God. I'll just finish the sentence there. Um, what is it that will help us uh, as we are living in tumultuous times to remain uh, in that select group of the remnant? Um, maybe a, a bad analogy, but being a, a doctor, another way I think of the remnant is um, bacteria. So we know that if we grow bacteria in a petri dish <laughs> or in a person, um, it's not too much different in this regard. Uh, and we, then we try to kill those bacteria. Uh, we use something called, what do we use? Antibiotics. So we have a bunch of different antibiotics. We have probably over 50 different antibiotics. Now, has anybody heard what's the problem with antibiotics these days? Resistance. Resistance. So um, if you were to think about this idea of the remnant in, in bacterial resistance, uh, we know that if somebody has an infection, say pneumonia, and we give them a common antibiotic that we've used a lot, there's a good chance that that antibiotic will treat most of the bacteria that are causing pneumonia, but it won't treat all of them if it's a antibiotic that um, some bacteria have developed resistance to. So you kill off the weak bacteria, but then what are left are the remnant, <laughs> and they're strong. And so that's a problem, right? Um, strong bacteria is different than strong Christians. Uh, that's why I say it's a bad uh, analogy, but in a lot of ways, uh, there are a lot of similarities, right? That, that the remnant are those that are those that remain, that are strong. And I think we all want to be counted in that group. I don't think I need to make the case um, here this morning um, that our world is falling apart, but I'm just going to take a minute to touch on a, a couple things. Um, we did pray for uh, Ukraine and Russia, and we should continue to. Uh, I think we all know that this is the greatest conflict in Europe uh, since World War II, and, and something that um, probably saddens all of us uh, to see this type of conflict um, and loss of life. And, and I know, you know, this is close to home, closer to home for some of us than others. And, and yet we can see, and, you know, it's encouraging to hear the stories even in the middle of uh, this, this challenge that none of us would wish for our world, of ways that God has taken care of his people uh, in the middle of that situation. Um, I, I, I volunteer with Adventist Health International, and, and intermittently I hear stories about things that are going on. Uh, we do have a kind of health center right outside of Kiev. Um, and when this first started happening, most of that operation was moved, I think, over to the, the middle of the country towards the east. Uh, but, you know, they showed pictures of the staff at this medical center facility, recent pictures. We've even had, you know, the, the staff on Zoom or the leadership on Zoom a couple times. And, you know, I kind of expected them to look like the pictures we see on, on the media, you know, um, maybe a little bit uh, downcast, maybe uh, crestfallen. That was not how this group of people looked. <laughs> they were smiling. They were full of life and joy. 
Uh, and what were they doing? They were handing out food. They were, were caring for their community and, and even sheltering refugees in their, their buildings. And I just thought, you know, what a difference. You know, the, the picture that we get of what's going on and, and the devastation in the world. And then you see this light, this small group of, of you know, believers who are working to bring healing and to bring joy in the middle of, you know, this, this tragedy that's still ongoing in our world. Uh, I think we all also know by now that um, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, COVID-19, is the sixth worst pandemic in the history of the world, as far as we know. Um, it's not, you know, not number one by any means, so there have been worse pandemics, for sure. Uh, however, most of those pandemics uh, lasted for decades, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so, uh, you know, where exactly the, the COVID pandemic, I don't think it will go there because we already have made advances even in treatment and prevention, which they didn't have access to back in the 12 and 1300s when the bubonic plague killed nearly two-thirds of Europe. Uh, but it's still a significant pandemic. I wouldn't underestimate how much um, trouble, and I don't think any of us would, this is brought to our world. Um, then, you know, maybe looking on a, a smaller scale, I think I've noticed and maybe commented to folks that I'm around, and I think some of you are, are some of those folks, um, but you may have noticed too, that just the way the, the, the civil uh, barometer of society has changed. And, and again, I don't have as much experience as many of you here today, but I think the way that we relate to each other in general uh, in this country has changed a little bit. Uh, really, the maybe the optimism, maybe the patience, uh, the the tolerance for people making mistakes uh, seems to all we all seem to be a little bit more edgy, and and obviously many. Many reasons for that, and I'm not saying in the church, I'm saying in, in America, in the world, and, and we certainly see the consequences of that. People not able to control uh, their actions. Uh, you know, it's, our world is unfortunately full of many stories where um, people are, are literally falling apart themselves. And, and that all, you know, I think would probably come down to a crisis of ment what we would call mental health. Uh, mental health has um, been deteriorating in America. I haven't looked too much at the rest of the world. And certainly there are other countries that, where this is a, a bigger problem even than in America. But, but you know, really, um, it's not too hard to look, and we don't have to look too far in our world to see that it, it really is falling apart. And, you know, I think there's a, a picture in Revelation 7 that kind of paints this reality where, where John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. You know, this, this restraining power of God in this world. I, I think we know, you know, our lesson this morning was about the flood. Well, that's a good, that's a good example of the remnant, isn't it? <laughs> Those who remained. Um, I don't know how many antediluvians there were, but it was probably numbered in the millions. Um, from those millions, uh, there was a, a bottleneck in huma humanity's ancestry down to one, really one uh, patriarch again, being Noah, and then his seed going out to repopulate the earth. 
But but you can see that that without that restraining power of God that is pictured here in Revelation 7, what happens in this world? You know, it just kind of falls apart. And and the story in Genesis is pretty clear. The, the, the antediluvians uh, were evil, right? They were sinful. Their thoughts were wicked all the time. And so they really didn't have... Um, they had grieved the Spirit of God away. And so, um, you know, we were talking in Sabbath school, like, what would have happened if there wasn't a flood? Well, certainly the, the seed of God would have been destroyed because there were very few. Uh, Noah and his family seemed to be the only notable ones. Uh, and then, you know, humanity probably would have destroyed itself too without, without any of those humans. And so you just see God working to provide um, whether in the the story of the flood or in our day, you know, God holding back these winds of strife, but certainly we see uh, the effects of evil kind of bearing out in our world as well. So where are we supposed to be? The world's falling apart. I think we know that. Um, That's really not, um, you know, I mean, it's it is a developing story, but the world has always been falling apart ever since we started um, and chose sin as humanity. So what's going to hold us together? Well, there's good news. And I think the rest of this talk will be about the good news, not the bad news. Um, if we look in sorry, Colossians uh, 1, 17, um, we find that the Bible says that in Jesus, all things hold together. So on one hand, you have Jesus holding all things together. On the other hand, you have sin which by its very nature causes things to self-destruct. So in the middle of this world, it's kind of falling apart because we've chosen sin as a, as a population. You have Jesus um, and, and the principles of his government being love that hold things together. And, and I think that is really the only way that we do hold together. Some people believe in the intrinsic uh, strength in the human spirit and humanity. Certainly God built us well, but it's really when we choose his way of life and reject the, you know, the popular way of life in a sense, selfishness, we choose God's way of love, that it is then that we hold together. So certainly, you know, if we were to look forward um, in the history of this earth, I think we would all agree that there's probably going to be some difficulties. Um, And we can see those around us looking forward. They're probably not going to go away. So really, if we are going to be part of this faithful remnant, those who remain, how is it that that is going to happen? Um, What is it that holds us together in these trying times? Well, certainly it's God, and we can all appreciate and we know that. Um, but being a little bit more specific, how is God going to hold us together? And uh, that's why I appreciate, again, Jedediah reading our, our Bible verse. Because these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I think we have probably all lived enough life to know that, you know, when you're having a bad day or when your world is falling apart, those are the things that hold us together. Those are the things that keep us from falling apart. Uh, I think you probably know, um, most of you at least, that when um, 
we came to Loma Linda, we came to medical school. Um, Shalina's from Georgia, I'm from Michigan. We didn't want to come to California. <laughs> we thought it was a pretty bad place. Um, but God nudged us out here um, and kind of showed us we were supposed to come. Uh, after our training, we were planning to serve as missionaries, medical missionaries in some place. And it, it worked out that God directed us towards Malawi. Uh, we had the privilege of working in Malawi for three and a half years. And really, um, it was hard the first year. Uh, the second year got better, and then the third year, we were very happy. We had kind of gotten our house situated. We kind of, I had at least sorted out the hospital. I certainly hadn't solved many problems there, but I at least understood what I was supposed to be doing. And we really felt like we were just starting to live. I mean, we had spent our whole married life up until that point really training for that job. And so we were pretty excited and pretty happy. Um, and then we had unexpectedly, well, uh, un we weren't really planning on, um, we had two children and we were pretty happy. We had a boy and a girl and we thought they were pretty good. Um, and then we had a third one come along and we weren't really expecting him. <laughs> but we're so glad he came along. Um, and because of the way um, Shalina's pregnancy was going, we had determined it would be best to come back to the United States to have our baby, uh, even though we probably personally would have just as soon stayed in Malawi at that point. Uh, so we came back to have the baby, and then after um, Caleb was born in Berrien, well, not Berrien Springs, he was born in Michigan, uh, a week after that was when we had the kind of unexpected news that Shalina had stage four breast cancer and that it had spread from, she had had surgery a couple years previously in which um, the surgeon said she was completely treated. And then the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer was actually a complete surprise to us one week after Caleb was born. When, when that happened, um, it kind of changed everything for us. Uh, she needed medical care in the United States. Uh, in a sense, we, you know, we kind of lost our home and our pets, uh, my job, because I couldn't work over in Malawi any longer. And to some degree, we felt like we were losing bigger things than that, um, the security of a future and life and, and Shalina's health to some degree. And, and that's really when I started thinking about this talk. You know, when, when life is kind of falling apart, what is it that holds you together? And, and I think it was somewhere in that journey that, that you know, First Corinthians 13 was, you know, the love chapter. I'd read it a lot. But the last verse really stood out to me in a different way, that these three remain. You know, like, my job is changing. Uh, our house is changing. Our family, you know, health and dynamics are changing. What isn't changing? Well, God isn't changing, and thankfully, and, and he doesn't and he didn't. Um, but he gives us also these, these bastions um, in, in our life and um, our experience that don't change as well. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk to them, uh, talk to you about them individually just for a minute. Um, so faith. How is it that faith helps us in these experiences? Well, I would say, number one, um, the Bible says faith is the evidence of things unseen. So there is certainly an unseen piece to faith. There is also evidence that is part of faith, and I think we've probably all heard um, this being shared in different ways 
in the past. Um, I would like to suggest, though, that uh, the evidence for our faith really comes from two places. Uh, one, uh, the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is probably the best evidence of our faith. He came to this world. He showed us and demonstrated to us clearly who God is, um, the visible representation of the invisible God. And we know that if God is like Jesus, that we can trust him, that he does love us. And so he gives us this evidence of God and his love. Um, beyond that, because for us 2,000 years after Jesus, that is all theoretical in a sense until we experience it ourselves. So there is the, the understanding that we get from the Bible, and then there is our experience, because experiential faith is something that I think is crucial, and Ellen White even says we must have an experiential faith. And so what is experiential faith? Well, experiential faith um, is those experiences in our life that demonstrate to us clearly that God is the one who has been leading us, that God is, in fact, real, not just words that we read um, or stories that happened 2,000 or 6,000 years ago. And so I would argue that that experiential faith is absolutely critical for us if we are going to be faithful and be part of the, those who remain. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, it says, hold on one second. For the children of Israel, um, when Moses was talking to them, uh, he said, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? So what is the meaning of all the Bible? Okay, what's the meaning of the Bible? <laughs> I would say today. Um, tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. You know, I love the question, you know, when your children ask you, like, what about these laws, you know, the, the stipulations, why all this, the Bible, um, how, how are they supposed to answer? They're supposed to say, before our very eyes, God did all these things. He brought us out with signs and wonders. And those signs and wonders, those miraculous interventions in our life taught us that God will take care of us if we are faithful to him. I think we all have to have that experience. We all have, you know, the laws and stipulations in the Bible. Um, when we talk to our children about that, when we, when we digest it for ourselves and it becomes part of us, where does it meet with our daily experience? Because if the only, if the only evidence we have for our faith is what is written down from 2,000-plus years ago, then we are going to falter because we don't have the experience of today. We, we haven't seen God interfacing with our life today. And if we're Christians, everything written down 2,000 plus years ago says that God's going to help us today. When I have a problem today, he's going to, he's going to help me through that problem, that we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us, that he's not way up there. He's right down here, and he's willing to help us every day. 
And so those stories, and you know, we all have our daily experiences. We all have a, a story when we were ch a child and we lost something and we prayed and then it was right there. Probably most of us do. I know I have those <laughs> experiences. And you know, how is it? You pray and you open your eyes and there it is. I mean, that's, I mean, has that happened to anybody? <laughs> um, you know, I would not discount the value of that. But how many, how many of us just kind of forget that and go on, you know, um, with our daily lives and maybe go on complaining about what's wrong in the world. Well, God is still looking for us to ask him for help. I, I think that's really what this comes down to. When we have a problem, we ask him for help, and he answers our request for help, and that builds our faith. Um, so how many of us here have problems? <laughs> I do. Okay, so we all have a grand opportunity to build our faith because God is wanting us to bring those problems to him. He cares for us. He's proven that through Jesus. And he will answer those problems in his way. Now, sometimes the answers aren't exactly the way we want them to be, but he's promised that he will faithfully um, take care of us. So as I think about faith, I think about, okay, what experiences are there in our lives that build our faith? And do we keep those in the forefront of our mind? Or do we forget them? Moses said when he was talking to um, the Israelites, you know, when your son asks you, you tell him. You tell him these stories. You have to recount these stories because you saw it with your own eyes. And they need to know that God is real and he is faithful. And so I think in my own life, you know, what stories are there that have shown me over and over again that God is faithful? I just wanted to share one. There are many. And, and we need to share these. Well, the Bible says we need to share them with our children. We need to share them with each other, too. Um, but one story came from Malawi when we were there. Um, we had a very um, hard time taking care of children in Malawi because uh, it cost money, it, it cost the parents money to go to our hospital. Where we lived was very poor. Uh, I think 98% of the population lived on less than a dollar a day. And just to give you an example, it, it cost uh, 25 cents to stay one night in the hospital. So our fees were low. But that was still a lot of money. Even just transportation to get to the hospital um, was more than most of the villagers felt like they wanted to pay. So they would have a sick child, but they would keep their child at home for a long time. Because of this, by the time children came to the hospital, they were pretty sick. So malaria season was always uh, just kind of a hard season, a little bit heart-wrenching, because um, there would be a bunch of normal kids, I mean, no birth defects or developmental abnormalities, who had come to the hospital very sick um, because their parents waited a long time to bring them to the hospital. Um, and then, you know, many of them would die. We were able to help some of them. And so we were thinking about this one January when it was particularly uh, challenging. And, you know, we were just thinking, what would it take for us to be able to help the parents bring their kids in sooner so that we could treat them? Because malaria is treatable. We have good medications for malaria. If you don't wait too long... Uh, most kids will be just fine and treated for malaria. So we talked about it with some visiting doctors. You know, it was January, February when there was a lot of malaria. Then, um, you know, malaria season passes in Malawi by about March or April. And so then, you know, we, something else came up. And, you know, mission hospitals are always busy. You're trying to solve some problem or another. Well, that year it came over to November um, so, you know, ma malaria season was coming around again. <laughs> and by that time, I was the medical director at the hospital, so I was feeling a little responsibility for this. You know, if, 
if you don't at least try to do something, this whole thing's going to happen again. And, you know, and you didn't do anything. That's what I was thinking to myself. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I should try to do something. And so I had had some ideas, um, but hadn't really taken the next step on these ideas. One of the ideas was really not a original idea, but it was to raise money to um, try and, you know, offset the cost of the care, which was not high, so that we could announce to the community that our, our hospital care for the children would be free. So then we could tell the community it's going to be free. They wouldn't wait until their kids were so sick, and they'd bring them to the hospital, and hopefully we could treat them. Well, I remember it was like the first weekend in November, and I was thinking, you know, if we're going to do this, now's the time, and we're going to have to start, you know, <laughs> we need some money, basically. Um, and so our hospital didn't have extra money to, to do something like that. So I remember it was a Friday night, um, you know, and the week was kind of done. It had settled down, and it was finally time to just be quiet and pray for a little bit. I do remember um, praying that Friday night specifically that if God wanted us to do this program, to send us a large sum of money. <laughs> um, I haven't prayed too many prayers like that. Um, sometimes my wife has gotten mad at me when I've asked for a lot of money from God. But um, I do remember praying that prayer. I also remember that the next morning, um, Sabbath morning, when I, I don't remember why I was checking my email. It's not something I typically do on Sabbath, uh, but I was. Um, Sabbath morning, there was an there was a message in my email inbox um, from a doctor who had been visiting our hospital that January. So I hadn't talked to her. She didn't know. You know, we hadn't talked for eight months. Um, but there, you know, there was this message in my inbox, and it said, Hey, Jamie, you know, I've been thinking about what we talked about last January about raising donations to take care of kids for free. And she said, I just want to let you know that I've committed $15,000 to Malamula Hospital for this program. <laughs> and, you know, that was my answer. It, it was pretty simple. You know, I, I didn't know if we should do this. I prayed about it, and God answered that prayer. And, and then, you know, um, at the time when we were talking about this theoretically, um, we didn't know, I thought $15,000 would be enough. Uh, I had failed to consider a few of the costs. <laughs> I had also failed to talk with the... Um, CFO of the hospital, who, who let me know, you know, it would probably be more like $120,000. But nonetheless, um, with, that, with that pledge, um, and, you know, the bigger piece being, you know, God answering in such a way, I didn't really worry that we were going to be able to raise the rest of the money. We did send out a newsletter. We did um, get subsequent donations. We had other donors that had visited our hospital, and, and when, you know, they saw our newsletter, they said, okay, Jamie, how much do you have? And I said, well, we have $57,000. And they said, okay, well, we just made a donation for $63,000. <laughs> and so for our first year, the program was funded. Um, that first year was 2016. And so that was seven, well, six years ago. Um, and until today, um, Malamulo Hospital still has free care for children. Um, free care is a whole other discussion. That's not the purpose of this story. But, but the truth is that, that God does, right, when we bring our problems to him, we sincerely and genuinely ask him for help. He has no problem helping us. That's a story that we need to share. Like, I need to tell my children. Um, I'd be embarrassed if that's the first time I've told this story to, to them because I was just thinking about this. 
those are the stories like where God has worked for us. We share them. That builds our faith and it helps us go forward all the way to the promised land. Uh, I can see, like usual, I've talked a little longer than I planned on. Um, just wanted to say a few words about hope, um, because faith is not alone. It connects us with God and almighty power, but it's not the only um, messenger that God has given us to, to help us. Um, he's also given us hope. And so what, what is hope? You know, um, I'm sure we can find lots of different definitions for hope. I kind of have my own. Uh, it's pretty short because I'm pretty simple, and I would just call it, you know, optimistic faith. So, you know, um, when we look into the future with optimism, I think that's hope. And as Christians, we have the greatest foundation um, and the greatest understanding of God uh, and the future. To We should be the most hopeful of all people. You know, if you were to think about what, what many in the world consider the worst-case scenario— um, when things bad happen, you know, they would say, well, maybe it would get so bad that somebody would die. You know, that, that, that might be the worst case scenario. Well, Paul addressed that concern um, in First Thessalonians four, thirteen to 17. And, and he said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So when the world thinks the worst thing has happened, maybe we've lost somebody or they have died, uh, Paul's saying, well, don't, you know, you grieve, but don't grieve like those who don't have hope because we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I'm sorry, this translation is a little bit different. Um, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are living um, when the Lord returns... Uh, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Basically, um, for those who fall asleep, we have, we have hope, right? We know that Jesus was raised from the dead. We know that he's promised to come back, and he has promised that we will be with him forever. What in all of that, what in all of those promises should not give us hope? Uh, and, so, and so we can see the, the fear of death or going to sleep in this world should in no way challenge the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, he's given us specific and very clear teaching so that we can, even in the face of loss um, of life or tragedies, still have hope. You know, um, for a long time after we came back from Malawi and, and we started, you know, kind of treating Shalina um, and it just had a major change in our family and, and kind of our mission, um, I wondered, you know, God, why did you let us have a baby right now? <laughs> Um, Caleb, you know, because we could show you pictures, you know, Caleb was two months old, he was laying in the hospital bed next to Shalina, getting her infusions, um, chemotherapy's hard, and it's harder, um, to have a two-month-old or three-month-old crying in the middle of the night, uh, there were many of those nights when I was kind of like, God, um, why did you let us have a baby? And then, you know what, it's easy to think about um, the investment of work in a baby. But, you know, what's even more, uh, even harder to deny is the joy that that baby brings. And, and really, what can, give, what can give us as humans, aside from God's promises and all that he has said, what can give us as humans more hope for the future than a baby? Is there anything? 
you know, God gives us these, you know, babies because uh, we need them, right? They say there is hope. Um, under sin, we as human beings, we start wearing out. We start falling apart over time. And we eventually return to the dust from which we came. But those babies give us hope because we see the newness of life. We see the joy that fills their lives and their eyes. And, and I can say, I've said this many times, but Caleb is probably the most tangible sign of hope that God has given our family on this journey. So Caleb, we love you, and we're so glad you're part of our family. And God doesn't leave us without these signs of hope, does he? I mean, he, he gives us the promises in the Bible, but then he also gives us daily reminders of the good that is to come. Now, where we focus our attention is probably uh, another conversation we could have. Um, we will not be filled with hope if we spend our time watching the destruction that the enemy is doing in this, in this world. Um, we find our hope when we see God and his work and what he's doing here. And that's why it was so nice for me to see, in contrast to what you'll see on mainstream news from Ukraine, the believers and how they're busy at work bringing healing uh, in really a difficult situation. Um, there are many other blessings for us, um, even on our journey. Uh, we could not have expected to have a, a transition like we had uh, to the United States, but God also gave us so many things in the middle of that transition. In the challenge, um, uh, really, that we were um, dealing with when we came back from Malawi with Shalina's health, um, God gave us family who supported us. And thank goodness that until today, <laughs> our family has been a huge support to us. Um, he gave us friends. And, you know, friends that we didn't know, friends that Shalina hasn't even ever met in person, um, who've just invested so much time and effort to pray, to write, and to encourage. You know, God gives us these, these unexpected blessings in our times of unexpected need. And, and when he does that, it builds our faith for the next time, right? And, and this is the journey that he's helping us to walk on. He's helping us as our family. I think he's helping all of us because this is the journey of being human and a Christian in this, this world. Okay, um, it looks like time is about up, but I don't want to leave out love <laughs> because that's the greatest one. So um, I'm going to go over love a little bit faster because um, I talked too long on the others, but I, I don't think um, I could talk about the, the supports that God gives us, um, the, the tools that he gives the remnant to, to face challenging times without talking about love because it is the greatest. So in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, God goes through great lengths to say that uh, you can do a lot of stuff in this world. You can do a lot of good things in this world. But if you aren't filled with love, it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and why is that? Well, because there's really two roads in this world. The one road is love, and that's God's government and the way he works. And when, we, when our actions spring from love, we are caring for others. And, and part, of, part of the equation that leads to life. I mean, God's universe is pretty simple in a sense. When we are loving, then we live. That gives our bodies energy, that gives our minds energy, and it leads to life. But if we are not loving, so you take love out and you die. I mean, that's just pretty simple. Um, when we, and, and what goes in its place? Well, selfishness and pride and all those things that lead to uh, degradation in our world. 
So you could be doing things that look good, but you take love out of it. Well, it's the motivation is going to be selfishness. And, you know, even if you're donating all your goods to the poor or giving your body to be burned or all these things that Paul talks about, um, speaking in tongues or doing other things, um, if it's not springing from love, then you, you no longer have the element of life in you that God um, has told us is the only way to live. And so love is absolutely essential. Um, I guess I would say from our personal experience, when you go through a challenging time uh, or a time that you might consider as a tragic time, uh, a fairly natural response for human beings is to become numb. And I think that's something that God uh, gives us uh, many, many supports so that we don't go down that road. But I know that for a while I felt that way, that, that um, while I could see the evidences of God's uh, goodness, you know, and he gave me faith, and I could see that from my past experience, there was a little bit of time where, where love was challenged in my life um, because I was feeling uh, numb and because I was just trying to make sense of this, that can also lead um, to to impaired relationships, right? If we are not loving, uh, if we are not feeling God's goodness to us, we can we can feel distanced from those that we love. And I know that certainly at times that has happened. And so, what what is the answer to that? Well, it's kind of the same story. It's when we remember God's goodness to us, the way He has reacted or acted in our life. His love to us, not just that he's powerful, but that he has really taken care of us over and over again. Uh, when we come in touch with the goodness of Jesus, as is so clearly painted in the Bible. So, so um, these have been just a few thoughts about what, what is it that will help us in times of trouble, um, in times when, when the world may be falling apart around us, um, as the Bible says, I'll just say one more time, these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. God is, God is the one who gives us all of those. And as we work through our challenges in life, let's remember those are the greatest possibility, the, the greatest potential for God demonstrating his goodness and building our faith. Uh, and I would say not only to us, but to others as well, as um, they watch God work in our lives. Why don't we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God, um, that you've promised that even when uh, life is challenging, that you are still good. Uh, I ask that we would all understand uh, from our experience and remember and share with others the, the good things you've done for us in our lives, the ways that you have worked, so that uh, as we go forward and, and when uh, difficult times come, that your goodness would be the first thing on our mind and that it would not be challenged by, by troubling times. In your name we pray, amen.